Hello, everybody. Today, we are talking about the ultimate guide to selling your art. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't afford an art class, we've got everything you need here at ArtProf, critiques, tutorials, professional development, and workshops. This is the biggest hurdle, in a way, when you're selling your artwork. Doreen, have you ever heard people say that they'll sell when they're ready? Yes. And to be blunt, there's no actual point when you'll be ready. You just have to accept that you have a product that you want to get feedback on. And I think that's the best way to approach it is get as much feedback, see who likes it, and then test the waters. To me, there's no reason to delay because actually a huge part of selling your artwork is figuring out what works and what doesn't. And the only way you're gonna figure out what doesn't work is to put it up there and see what happens. And the thing is selling your art, it doesn't have to be this monstrous thing that you do. I mean, Mia, I know you've told a lot of people, hey, just start really small. For example, with Instagram flash sales. Yeah, I mean, it can be as simple as you have one piece or one print that, or it could be an extra or something, or just a little byproduct of a project and you want to sell it you can throw it up in your Instagram story and be like, does anybody want it? Like that counts as selling your art. <laughs> so I think just getting out there and seeing how to engage with people, what language to use when you're trying to sell something, uh, you just got to practice. And so starting as early as you can, will just help that whole process. You don't need a shop with 500 items. I mean, if I say to somebody, okay, we'll just sell a couple stickers. Most people say, okay, I can do that. It's not investing tons of money and it's small quantities of things. So I don't have to stress out about that. Tell us in the chat who here has sold their artwork? What's your experience been? And where have you sold online at a craft fair? let us know because we have all kinds of videos about merch and prints. Here's another thing. Do a small print run. I know, Mia, you just go to FedEx, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I know the people at FedEx now, so we're like best friends. <laughs> and I like email them and I'm like, hey, could I pick up like 10 of these? And I go in and I crop them and we chat. And so like it can be super fun to get to know your local print shop, whether it be FedEx or a family run business, like anything like that. It can be or buy your own printer. That's something I'm working up to to be able to do for myself. So you can try all sorts of different means of printing. <laughs> This is a big one that people just don't think about. What's your story? Now, Dorian, why is this important? Because a lot of people would say, well, if my work is good enough, then people will buy it. Yeah, I think with me, the biggest part of who I am as a creative and as a designer is someone who experiments. And as I say in almost every live stream, I play with the process. So a big thing when you're talking about your story, in my case, I talk about the materials I use, where I find them, how I source many things from thrifting or just literally going in the trash. Uh, and through these small little moments throughout the story, it's very clear to my audience that I'm thoughtful about the ways that I'm creating. And also when they see the final product, they're like, you made that from the things you just told us about. So from going from like denim that was scrap fabric or old jeans in the thrift store and turning into something like that 
is a fully transformative moment that I think a lot of people connect with. So sharing that part of the story or any part of your story can really help people connect. My sob story is academia. Academia didn't want me. And so now I'm here with all of you learning online. <laughs> don't you feel bad for me? Whatever story you have is critical. So for example, Mia, we know that Dorian has done shoe design and sportswear. Do you think it matters that he's a basketball player? Oh, I mean, any level of context and depth and backstory that you can bring to your audience, even just in sharing your work, not like let alone selling your work, it will make people grow attachment to that item. If you just show something in a void, like if I just see a sneaker, I'm going to be like, okay, sick. It's a sneaker, whatever. But then if I know Dorian's whole shebang, first of all, I'll trust him more because <laughs> he's a basketball player. He probably knows right, what right. he's talking about. Um and I'll also care enough to maybe read more about the concept behind it. So yeah, I definitely think it matters. Jazz says, my story is boring though. It's boring uh -huh. to you because it's just your life. But actually everybody has a story to tell and you just have to find it because for most of us, our stories feel ordinary. And then when we tell somebody else, we realize, oh yeah, I'm kind of interesting. <laughs> Because people don't realize this. People will buy your art if they like you. Now, doesn't this sound bizarre, Dorian, but it's true. It's the most true statement. Like I had a gallery this past Saturday and people saw the work before the presentation. Nobody was really approaching me. I talked on a panel about the things I loved about and the things that I did and expressed my passion and how I love basketball. By the end of it, every person that had originally walked past me was coming back to me and saying, your story's amazing. Like, it's amazing what you're able to do. Oh, you're such a well-spoken, like all oh, this, that, and the third. Just because your story is your story doesn't mean that's not gonna pique the interest of so many other people. And we can beat that like a dead horse, but at the end of the day, just trust that you have a great story. Well, because Mia buying from an artist not the same as buying from Target. I think people truly are in a different mindset when they want to buy from an artist. I think so. And I've noticed too, selling at craft fairs and in-person events, I get into those conversations with people, even if it's just 20 seconds of like, hi, I made this. I'm so proud of it. And I'm so happy to share it with you. And people will, even if they don't have the money to buy one of the larger items, they'll take a sticker for $2 or something to show their support. So it could be something so small, um, but it just means it makes your day. Like when you have that face-to-face -face interaction with someone uh, and you don't get that at Target, at least in my experience at Target. <laughs> Branding is basically what you're doing. You're creating a brand for yourself. Like Dorian, you have this logo for Blacktop Market and it doesn't just appear on the clothing. It's on the tags, it's on the website. How did you come up with the logo that you use? Oh, so it went through a lot of iteration. Uh, I had an original name for the brand called OG Sport because I wanted it to be related to basketball, but not just basketball. But I realized that I'm a basketball player. My story is very closely related to that. And so I wanted to highlight that part of my identity. Also, I love Basquiat. So if you look at part of the image, you can see the crown that he usually does in all of his work. 
is reimagined into the base of the uh, basketball hoop. So there's like small hints to my inspirations and also my identity in it. And I feel like that's why it becomes a strong label because my identity is relatable uh, to a lot of people who love art or love basketball. And Mia, a lot of a brand is consistency. Not saying you can't change things, but people have to be able to recognize you across platforms because sometimes I find somebody on Instagram and I find them on TikTok. I'm like, is it them? I, I'm not sure. And so what have you done to be consistent so that people aren't confused when they find your stuff? I think I'm still struggling with that a little bit just because as far as materials go, I'm always jumping between different things. But I will say that I try and consider subject matter and color palette and the tone of voice I use in my captions and my stories when I'm explaining my work or calling people to action if things are available somewhere. Um, so I think that it's, it's the little things like not everything needs to be the exact same, but I think a good posting schedule and a good relationship and communication with your followers can really make or break a sale. Here's a technical thing that's extremely important. Choose a platform that fits your art. I've had a lot of artists will say, well, isn't it better for me to be on more different platforms? Won't that increase my sales? Well, not all platforms are created equal. Why is that a problem, Dorian? Uh, taxes, audience engagement. There's just, there's so many parts to this. I think that in itself is a whole stream, but you have to just be really thoughtful and considerate about who's able to access the work that you want to sell and how much work you're actually realistically able to produce in the time that's going to one, make your business still successful and reliable and two, not, you know, make you want to just suffer and curl in a ball all night. <laughs> <laughs> because there is such a thing as being spread too thin. If you have a shop and it just, looks like you haven't updated it for a while. Mia, does that make you want to shop there? No. <laughs> I'm always, well, it's who I was raised with too. My mother is always like, make sure it's not a scam. Make sure it's not scam. Whatever. So I'm always like, oh. uh, so I check for the most like recent updates if people are, you know, um, engaging and things of that sort, it really makes a difference. And if you're spread thin across platforms, even if you are active, if someone finds you on one of the platforms you might not be giving as much attention to, they'll be like, mm, I don't trust this person. So yeah. Actually, one of the reasons I like Etsy is because people can leave reviews. And that to me is the first thing I do if I'm thinking of buying something. So I'm curious to know in the chat who here reads the reviews for individual shops when it's an option because I'll see the items say, oh, I like that. And then I read the reviews right away. Do you read them, Dorian? It, uh, it's such a tough situation because I take it with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, you really have to see it for you're trusting a lot of strangers to tell you about a business. And I've seen great businesses crumble from bad reviews. So that's true. You know, Mm -hmm. that's also again a big part of the consistency and being reliable as a business like if you're on all of these platforms spreading yourself too thin you're going to get a bad review somewhere so be consistent and be honest with yourself about what you can handle 
do events. Now, <laughs> I don't do events very often, but I have done them long, long, long time ago. And people oftentimes think that events are just to sell. But Mia, I actually think craft fairs are almost you doing research on your demographic. Oh, yeah. I mean, this specific fair that's pictured here, I was there selling tarot stuff and I was also floating an idea around for a graphic novel. And I was able to gauge people's interest and reactions just based on that little pitch I was giving. And it was so helpful to pay attention to like, oh, these are the words people are latching onto. This is maybe my target demographic, stuff like that. So selling things is always awesome. And it's cool to share your work like that. But it's a great place to see people face to face and be able to tell in real time what's working and what's not when it comes to new ideas. Doria, I imagine for you, because you're selling jackets and things that people wear, that must be hugely important to see because you don't see that when people buy online. Yeah, and that's a big reason why small businesses can find great success in being in person. I've had all my videos on my page, for instance, of just reactions of people putting stuff on. Like there's no greater moment than seeing someone try something for the first time. And they're like, oh my God, it fits perfectly. Like, it's so comfortable. I don't want to take it off. Like those moments are the intangible moments that keep you going and make you feel like you're on the right path with what you're creating. So being able to create with an audience that's supportive and also a fresh mindset of happiness and joy and you're able to do it, it takes you really far. Maria is asking, how many works should you have on hand to start selling your art? Five? Oh, I didn't realize there was a specific number. Tell us why five. Okay, so I see it as this. You have to have at least two of the same product and at least two of each. And for me with wearables, it's like at least one in a different size, another one in a different size. And it's like, ah. I sold out of the other one. If you're interested in it, you can purchase it and I can make it for you and send it to you. There's ways to present that you have a stock for products that are easy to make if you're able to uh, in small ways. <laughs> are you raising I, your hand? Yeah, I will say, <laughs> I will say too, it matters what you're selling because I think yeah, that it if it's the physical work itself, like if it's a one-off painting or like Dorian said, wearables, you can get away with having like less. But if it's prints and things like that, I'd say if you know one design is going to sell really well, get like 50 copies of it. Or, yeah. you know, it's always nice. Like if, if it's something that can be mass produced, just get a whole bunch. Um, but if you're worried about not having enough demand for it, start small and just work your way up based on, you know, the engagement you're getting. <laughs> The huge topic how to price your art it still stresses me out i still feel like i'm doing it wrong and i've been doing it for a long time and this is the chronic problem that artists have is not knowing their worth and it's this big emotional roller coaster where you come up with a price and you're like who am I to think that I am worth that? And then the other part of you is like, oh, if I price it lower, somebody will buy it. Why, why is it so emotional, Dorian? You put a part of yourself into your work, or I would hope 
that most artists are putting a part of themselves into the work because that's what I think is one of the connecting factors to many people in your audience. So you also have to be willing to give yourself the respect and your work, the respect that it deserves by valuing it as such. And I know that there are times when I'm uncomfortable about it and when I price it, but the worst thing that somebody can do is say, no, that's too expensive. And even in those cases, that might not be the audience that's meant for your work. Like if it took you 60 hours on a piece and you're trying to sell it for $10, you're undervaluing your work. Be realistic, be honest, and just shoot for the stars. <laughs> Mia, why do you think we undervalue our work? Because I see it from artists everywhere. This is not isolated group of people. This is all of us. I mean, I think I still do sometimes. And that's just simply because I think that there's such joy in having having your work be accessible to everyone, no matter what. So if people are like, oh, I just can't afford it. Like, I feel so disappointed and sad that I'm like, but I'll just give it to you, <laughs> which like isn't good because then people take you less seriously when you're selling yeah. places. I think that a lot of it also has to do with imposter syndrome like you were saying before where it's like who am i to say that my time is worth this much and um it took me a while to learn that i shouldn't just like cap my prices off at like my expenses but i should add a little bit more for my actual work ethic and ideas and things like that and consider those just as important so you know still still learning along the way <laughs> you gotta repeat that part again too because that's very important is making sure that you don't just pay for the expenses you have more you have to make a profit off of it you do and oftentimes i see artists say well if i make the prices low it'll sell better that's actually not true you know, sometimes you shop on Amazon for a printer and one of them is $50 less. Part of me <laughs> says, oh, that one's not as good. This one costs more, therefore it must be better. Now that's not always true, but I think we do that as artists too. And actually sometimes when you make the prices higher, it makes people think, oh, it's more valuable. So it's really, really hard. It's not a perfect process, but I can tell you having a range of prices is very helpful. Like Mia, you have full out paintings, but you also have stickers, right? Oh yeah, I have, I think that my range when I'm selling at craft fairs, especially it's like $2 to 50 is my window. Um, and that's just because I don't really sell my originals at craft fairs, maybe I will soon. But um, as of right now, it's just reproductions. So I'll have a $50 item that is like the big kahuna of the show. And like, if people are really into it and they really want it, like they'll get that. But a lot of the times I get into good conversations with people and they aren't really interested in the big thing, but they want to show their support. So they'll yeah. get a $15 print or they'll take a business card or, or they'll get a sticker pack or something like that. And you know, those little interactions and those little purchases really add up at the end of a sale. And if you buy products like that in bulk, you'll make more than your money back. So I'd say it's definitely worth doing for sure. This is a good story from Jennifer who says that my last art fair, I was painting on the spot. I made a sketch that was all wonky and set it aside. Lady told me she loved it and asked how much it was. Caught me off guard. I said uh, $10 and my friends got mad at me for underselling. 
it's it's really hard. I mean, you are put on the spot, Jennifer. So that's totally understandable that you didn't know what to say, but it, it just screws with you so much, the whole process of pricing. I think if you're going to do anything and spend a ton of time on it, photos. Now, Dorian, why are your photos going to make or break you in terms of selling art? Have you ever looked at a photo of something bad and wanted to buy it? Nope. <laughs> so I think that's really what it comes down to. It's you're presenting your work as a body of work or as an individual piece of work. And when people see like the details, when people see the care that you're putting not only into the image, but the work, it, it increases the value of not only you, but your work. So taking your time and actually photographing pieces is an essential part to not only your business, but also keeping track of your portfolio and documenting your work as an artist. Tell us in the chat, what's your take on documenting your work? Cause it's a lot of work to do and it sounds easy and it's not. There's a lot of things that are not difficult to do, but if you don't know them, it's hard to get the results that you want. For example, Mia, one thing I notice that you do a lot is you oftentimes show your hands, you holding the print, you holding the sticker. Why does that matter in terms of selling? I think it is grounding in a weird way. It, it's it's uh, logistical, in, not logistical. It's, it's important information to know about a product that you're buying, first of all. So you can knock that question out of the way by just including your hand or another item to compare that to in a photo. I also think that as far as my work and my branding goes, I like my work to feel very um, down to earth and accessible. So showing it like in someone's hand, in a room, somewhere comfortable, that's where I want the work to exist. Um, and tr and taking the time to take those photos as an example of that, I think is always worth it. It is a time commitment though. I always like carve out a big take photos time in my planning schedule because it always takes longer than you think. Show yourself. Even if you're middle-aged, not cool and not fashionable, oh. show yourself. Now, we're not saying you have to do this, okay? <laughs> Obviously, a lot of people don't, and I know a lot of people are uncomfortable, but isn't it just more fun, Mia, when you can see the artist? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I do think so, but I will <laughs> say that it is so nerve-wracking for someone. Like, I went into visual art so that I didn't have to be on camera, like, so that I could be in the background. <laughs> So this little photo shoot was a little video that I did and then took screen grabs from. And it was like, I was talking to myself the whole time to like keep myself, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like do it, like stop freaking out. Um, so behind the scenes of this is like way more chaotic than it looks, but I think that it was worth it at the end. Well, Dorian, how is this different than a picture of just the sweater? I feel like I'm closer to me after seeing this. It's like she made this piece and she looks happy in it. And not only does she look happy in it, but it's by itself a great product. So I want to buy it. I want to support her. And I'm probably going to give her the follow just so I can see what other stuff she makes in the future. That's the stuff that people always, always <laughs> look, look, double tap, double tap. <laughs> uh, I, 
am very big on just supporting people that are actually doing the work. And you can tell that Mia was doing the work. Pat says, I don't even like taking pictures of myself for reference images. Same, I'm Pat. I'm not saying you have to, but don't you guys think it's cool that in the photo on the right, you can see scissors next to a remote control? <laughs> that is so relatable. And so putting your work in context where it doesn't just look like, oh, it's on a white wall, putting it in a place where you're seeing it being created, it, it just feels much more personable. It makes you feel, again, like you are getting to know the artist. And of course, we have an ultimate guide for how to photograph your 2D and 3D artwork. Mia, tell us about seasonal drops. What is this? Yeah, so something that I've been trying to do consistently is having a shop drop. I have my own website, so I can open and close my shop as I see fit. And I've been trying to do a big drop of like new artwork, some past favorite print designs, pins, things like that. Um, like at the beginning of spring or this time it's going to be sort of at the tail end of autumn. It's coming soon. But um, I think that having a little buffer between each drop can help um, encourage people to buy when it is available because they know like, oh, it's not going to be up for that long. I've got to buy now before things sell out. Um, and it's something to look forward to, like at the end or beginning of each season, it's like a little celebration of the work I've made thus far. And everyone can share in that with me. I have not done that yet, the seasonal drop. I do want to at some point, because it just seems to me like the way people shop online now is about, oh, you've got two weeks to get this one jacket. And, and that's so different than it was when I was selling 20 years ago. Um, Dorian, do you feel like that is the case now? Yeah, definitely. And in order for brands like me to compete with fast fashion, you have to have quick turnaround times or products that are in a rotation. And I'm not at capacity where I can have a lot in rotation. So I drop something, I make limited runs of it. I take a break and make a new design, get that produced because I do everything by hand. And then from there, I redrop it again. So there's new things in the works at all times. And it's just thinking about at what point you're actually capable of doing a drop. I love your Seasonal. work. <laughs> I, I love, love your work too. You guys didn't say anything to me. You're just complimenting each Clara, other. You we have love a you, beautiful Clara. painting in the background. Just oh my chilling. God, you guys. <laughs> anyway, seasonal items are really, really fun. So Mia, tell us about this. So this is a little sneak peek. This is an unreleased special project I've been working on a little bit, but it's my 2024 calendar. And I had seen other artists make calendars before and I wanted to give it a shot. So it's just like, you know, I got 50 copies of it. It's when else are you going to buy it versus like the end of fall for the new year? You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like a perfect storm of the timing might work out. It's an item that people want and they can look at a collection of my little paintings from the past year. So I thought it'd be cool to try. That's another thing you should consider when you're selling art is like, what are other artists doing that you think is really cool? And then can I try that in my own way and put my own spin on it? So that's my little experiment for this year. Um, look out for that <laughs> on my shop. 
Well, Pat notes, I always think about seasonal pieces about two months too late. I mean, I know there are some artists, they make most of their income for the year in November and December. And so if you do want to make selling a significant part of your practice, you do have to plan way in advance. I think we've all been nailed on this. <laughs> you have to consider the cost of shipping, packaging, and art supplies. I mean, just the art supplies alone are something to think about. That canvas costs you $10. These oil paints cost this much. You don't want to be losing money when you sell your work. But also the shipping stuff and the packaging. Like, Dorian, tell us about your packaging because this is super cute. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've worked really hard on, again, the identity for the brand and what I'm capable of, like, relaying in this quick of a moment. So by having this kind of packaging, it shows that I care about my product, that I care that it's getting to you and it looks good when it gets to you. And I don't know, it just looked really good. So, I mean, like, why wouldn't I, <laughs> why wouldn't I want to do it? Uh, it's been probably a part, it's one of the biggest parts of experimenting too is finding successful packaging because not everything is going to work the best for what you're selling. And I do clear packaging so people can see the design still, things like that. And you gotta see how much is that bubble mailer? I actually buy cut out sheets of corrugated cardboard. It seems silly, but it's a pain to have to cut those all the time. So I just buy <laughs> stacks of them and I slip them in the mailer. I also buy a photo bag and then I have tape and I have the shipping label and the invoice. It's like people don't think through all of logistics that are actually involved in all of these things. Well, Maria's asking, where do you have your reproductions made? Mia, you use FedEx, right? Yeah, most of the time for, well, I use a bunch of different places depending on my what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, prints, I've gone to FedEx before, but I've also had um, like some family run company. I forgot what it's called, but um, I've experimented a lot with my outsourcing and I found somewhere that was like local to me and I've like made a relationship with those people. So I would say if you're going to be um, using a place regularly, if it's possible for you to go in person and like get those um, specifics really detailed to you and like make a relationship with someone that's important, but just read reviews online. If you're unable to and have to like completely outsource for pins and stickers and things, I've just read reviews and I've been satisfied with my results so far. So yeah. Also and remember also there's print on demand. You don't have to do it <laughs> the manual way. Is that what you're just going to say? <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> And we have some other questions. Thank you for coming on, Margaret. We love you for giving us Mia. <laughs> Says, do you have advice about adding taxes to the cost of the artwork? We have a whole stream on taxes. It gets very confusing. You have to get a sales certificate. You have to go to the Department of Revenue. You have to register. It's not difficult, but a lot of people don't know how to do it. So look up Art Prof Taxes and you'll find that stream. I should do that. Thank <laughs> <laughs> the reminder, Mom. You should. <laughs> and we also have a question from Anna who says, when you talk about seasonal drops, do you mean thematically relevant like pumpkins or snow scenes? Dory, what do you think? 
Okay, so for me, it's different because again, apparel, so there's like fall, winter, and then there's spring, summer. Uh, but also, I'm weird where I like to do opposites. So I'm like fall and like summer clothing, and then like spring and winter clothing. Uh, when you think about seasonal drops, you have to think two seasons ahead is how I look at it. So that's what I guess is how my process works. If I want sweatshirts for the winter, then I'm thinking about that in the spring. Or if I'm thinking about t-shirts, then now is the time. So that way, when summer comes or when spring comes, I have products ready for people. That's a really good point, is that you have to shift your timeline and your brain to account for shipping times for your products to get sent to you or for the making of them and the development. That's a really good point that he just brought up. Here's another thing you can do. Let's say you just opened your shop. You can do a giveaway. And these are super helpful because, first of all, more eyes get on it because who doesn't want to get something free? <laughs> and <laughs> also, it's just a way to get the product into people's hands. Because I know when I was doing prints, I had so many people so sweet would send me pictures of my print in their bedroom, in their desk and everything. And some people would post Instagram stories. So Dorian, that's where our audiences can really help us. Yeah. And for me, <laughs> I love interacting with people more than any other part of, well, except we're actually making the work more than any other part of the business. And being able to give something to someone for free, you see a light on them where they're like, no way I'm getting this for free. Like yeah. you gotta be, like there's a happiness and a moment of bliss that you get to share with somebody. This is super important. Social media is what will bring people to your shop. Because Mia, people are not looking up Clara Lou shop. That's not gonna happen. And I really do think the vast majority of artists I know who do well selling use social media as the hook to bring people to your shop. Is that the case for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that unless you're already very, very established in the social phenomena, um, <laughs> zeitgeist, uh, people aren't going to be looking up your name online. So you have to either get on a For You page or find another way to drive people in. And that for me has been social media for sure. Um, I also think that when it comes to Instagram or something of that sort, it's the best of both worlds where you can show people your work and also directly communicate through your captions and your stories and things like that. So it is 100% a business tool. And I think that artists have to have that shift happen in their brains and be like, okay, Instagram's not just something I have to get around to. It's something that you should be actively working on and building similar to just your selling practices and getting used to it, using it as a tool. Well, and Instagram only allows one link. And so I actually have a link tree, which I recommend. It's really, really helpful. So people can just scan quickly what you have and then I'll write, okay, I'm selling this print and I'll say shop link and profile. Because when people copy paste those URLs, it's, it's not helpful. Nobody's tapping on that. Nobody's copy and pasting that into a browser. And I would just say, if you get a link tree, keep it really simple. The fewest number of words you can possibly come up with. 
because then that takes people to this shop. So I haven't announced this yet, actually. We, we all have these projects going on. So these are prints of my bread fairy artworks and they're on demand. And so basically if you go from my link tree, that has a link to Printify, which is a pop-up shop. And so we can't expect that people will find us, right, Dorian? Oh yeah. <laughs> I nope. think you have to put in the work to be found just as much as you would to find somebody. Also Absolutely. remember, remember everyone is very lazy. Like it's yes. not their <laughs> fault really. I'm saying this because I am very lazy. The intention span is zero and no one is going to be doing any extra work to purchase your thing unless you shake them by the shoulders and say, I'm making you do this. Like not literally, but like, you know, metaphorically speaking. Like, it's like, important. Through, through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is where social media also builds anticipation. So I recently did this portrait of Mrs. Lovett. So I was posting the in progress version. And then when you see the final thing, it's more exciting because Dorian, I think so many people think, oh, well, it's just the finish. But Dorian, why do you like seeing works in progress? Process, 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 process. Uh, yeah, process. I love seeing how it started off as something so simple and like so just not at all the final product and following the journey of it because not only does that help me think of ways I can use some of the techniques in my work, but I'm also able to see somebody's methods and actual flow kind of evolve as they go through pieces. This is a big one that I'm surprised a lot of artists don't want to do because it's work. Being willing to adapt and change. Mia, what do we mean about that? I think that uh, as, in, as with anything in life, there's always the thought of, okay, if I just do this, then I'll be set for life or uh, huh. I'll just be good and I'll have it down and my hard work will pay off. And I think that it could work out for a little bit, but times change like the the culture and the trends and everything always shifts and so part of being an adaptable um business person and working artist is like paying attention to what's relevant and the the means of expressing your work and and drawing people in so you always have to be paying attention to that and um also just making new work i think that making new work and sharing that with people is the best way to keep people involved in your artistic journey and story. Um, so yeah, it's just a win all around. Always be changing. <laughs> and it's fine to do a total rebrand. I mean, I had an Etsy shop that I hadn't touched in literally years, just sitting there. And I was like, I'm just going to wipe it it's fine. You know, I just started this print on demand thing. Nobody's complaining. I mean, it hadn't had any activity for a couple of years. And so Dorian, I think a lot of people are worried, oh no, you spent all that time in the Etsy shop and now it's not even open anymore, but that's not true. I think a lot of people try and operate as though they are fully established. And when you're at this phase where you're able to experiment and try new shops and try new products and try new things, that is the best time for you to fail as many times as possible. 
because and it's not even necessarily a failure it is a learning experience it is a learning curve but by having those failures early on you're able to create the stronghold that will be the business that lasts long and the etsy store that you don't take down and that link that you don't take out of your bio you have to build up to that though you know what you guys i'm sorry to tell you but people are not paying as much attention to you as you think they are they really are not it's a reassuring thought i i would say it's so reassuring to just be like no one cares actually (laughs) it is because i can mess up is that okay i put that listing it didn't go anywhere i take it down it's really not that big of a deal and so actually that's the best time to start selling when you don't have a following because you can mess up and do all these different things when you have a following oh my gosh like i have a typo on one page and people are like you did this wrong. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> which I'm grateful for. I'm glad people help me with that stuff. But we have a big enough following now that I know if I mess up something, people are going to tell me. So for the most part, people mean very well. So it's it's fine. I don't have an editor. By the way, if you want to learn more about merch and prints, we do have a workshop this Sunday, October 22nd. And this is great to get that customized feedback, because as much as we can give you all the advice in the world, it's really not until I can sit down, look at your shop, review it with you, look at the logistics and talk through certain potential approaches that we can really get progress on your stuff. Registration link is in the YouTube video description below. And November workshops, registration is open. That is due October 27th. We have Portrait and figure, flesh tones, storms, clouds, and sunsets, business secrets, websites for artists. Check it out on the front page of artprof.org. Join our art school portfolios group. This is where you get critiques, voice sessions for MFA and BFA applicants with myself and our staff. Please join us after the stream. Dorian and I will be in the Discord. Please meet us in the post live streams channel where we can chat about all kinds of other things. Join our Discord. You get to hang out with us. I'm in there every day, so it's great. You can sponsor a video. We have so many wonderful people in our community who stepped forward, provided the funding we needed to sponsor a bunch of videos, and we are so grateful to them. Our prof has services, artist calls, portfolio critiques, personal art curriculums, artist statement editing. You can check that out. And a huge thank you to our top Patreon supporters who make all of this possible. Thank you for your support. Visit artprof.org. There's tons of content on there that's not on YouTube. Use the search bar. Artprof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And Pook wants you to subscribe for more art tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.